Tonight's talk is on appreciative joy as we continue our journey through the um, four flavors of a open and friendly heart, the four Brahma Viharas. Sometimes the four Brahma Viharas are compared to different ways that you would relate to a child. And so metta is said um, to be uh, that unconditional love that arises when you see a baby. So you see a baby and, um, you know, the heart just naturally opens and uh, wishes this being well, wishes this being happiness and safety. And then it's said that compassion, the second Brahma Vihara, um, is how one would respond to a child that was hurt. So a child um, hurts themselves, and again, there's that, like that natural caring quality. So it's, it's an open and friendly heart, but it starts to, open, to orient towards suffering and bring out the quality of care. And then mudita, what we're going to talk about today, or appreciative joy, is said to be how we would orient to a child who's um, beginning to feel their themselves in the world, their success, their, um, their joy. Like um, a few years ago or a couple of years ago, my, my godson graduated from high school. And the high school, to me, the graduation ceremony was like a mudita fest. Everybody was just so happy for the, the folks that were graduating. And, and there was that kind of joy in celebrating um, their success. few days ago, I went to a friend's um, child was playing a basketball game at um, his school. And it was similar, you know, that feeling of joy and happiness watching this child um, develop his potential. And then the last one, the last Brahma Vihara of equanimity, that's uh, the feeling of letting go when a child leaves home. So it uh, balances out all the other ones with the the understanding that each person has their own destiny. And when a child leaves home, it really, that marks that, that um, letting go. So today, as I said, we'll talk about appreciative joy, or sometimes it's called sympathetic joy or empathetic joy. Last week, we talked about Compassion, the heart oriented towards suffering. And yet suffering isn't all of life. There's also joy and um, success and beauty. And so with mudita, we're orienting the heart towards that part of life. As a Brahma Vihara, we're specifically connecting with the joy and success and happiness of others and um, developing a kind of unselfish joy that delights in others' success and delights in others' happiness. So we're turning the friendliness of metta towards others' happiness and success. And we're connecting with others through knowing um, happiness as a universal experience, just as with compassion we connected with others, knowing that Suffering is a universal experience.
Sometimes we also talk about mudita, and I will talk about it a little bit tonight in this way too. It's not uh, traditionally taught about this way, but also about connecting with just the beauty and the goodness in this world as, and appreciating it as um, another form of mudita. Mudita brings a balance to our practice. It balances out the compassion. It brings a completeness by uh, embracing all of life's experiences. So by acknowledging that in, tradi- in addition to suffering, there's also in life beauty, joy, and success. It's a fun thing to be able to talk about. The root of the word mudita is to be pleased or to have a sense of gladness. The Buddha called it the heart deliverance of gladness. So it gladdens the heart and uh, frees the mind of contraction. Sympathetic Joy encourages us to take delight in others' happiness without reservation. So you could say it lifts us out of um, self-centeredness. All of the, all of the Brahma Viharas lift us out, out of self-centeredness. So with this Brahma Vihara, we, when we delight in others' happiness, we find that we feel happy too. And we develop this understanding through strengthening mudita that happiness is limitless. And that others having more doesn't mean that we have less. In this way, mudita lessens the forces of jealousy and stinginess in our hearts and minds. And it strengthens the forces of gratitude and contentment. Traditionally, uh, as it's taught using the phrases, we just use one phrase, and there are several variations that I will uh, read to you. So first of all, we we imagine um, a a person who we know is happy, and... uh, and somebody that we like too, we go towards the easy. And we, we, we focus on their happiness, their success, their joy. We really connect with it, and then we wish for it to continue, or we appreciate it. So the traditional phrase is something like, may your happiness and success never end. Or may you always be happy and successful. Not quite so traditional, but I think helpful phrase sometimes people use is, I appreciate your happiness, or I rejoice in your success, or whatever happiness and good fortune you may be experiencing now, may it grow and flourish. So there's a little bit of paradox with these phrases, so may... We say, may your happiness and success never end. Well, the paradox is that we live in a world of change, and it is going to end. So um, 
the focus, it's important to remember that the focus isn't on the results of the phrase. The focus isn't on like trying to get their happiness and success to never end because it's not going to work. Um, the focus is on the heart that can wish or can rejoice wholeheartedly in this person's success, connecting that way. That's why I like sometimes to use, I appreciate your happiness, because then we don't get in a little bit into that conundrum of, uh, of um, the paradox of, of wishing that it would never end and knowing that it will. So as I said, we start out with a loved one who's currently happy, and um, then we go, traditionally you go then to neutral and difficult Uh, So traditionally you skip yourself, but many of us in the West, uh, many teachers in the West and in modern times, uh, add in the self because it's good for us to be able to appreciate our own joy and our own success and not uh, just see uh, the sorrow and the suffering in our lives, but to balance it out with that appreciation of the happiness in our lives. It's said to be the hardest Brahma-vihara to develop. And I know when I first heard this, I was surprised because I thought compassion should be the hardest one because it focuses on, on suffering. Um, the Buddha called it a rare and beautiful quality, the quality of mudita. So what we see with mudita that may surprise us is that it's not so easy to celebrate others' happiness and success. It challenges our our own ideas about our own completeness, our ideas about loss and gain, abundance and scarcity. It brings up the, the, the thought, what about me? What we see is that, um, or what we learn through all the Brahma Viharas is that it's not about me. I'm not um, trying to get anything here um, except perhaps a joyful mind. There's one other way to joy that I learned about in Bangkok. Um, Big, tall building, very prominent, easy to see from many highways. Big sign says, Joy is BMW. (laughs) I think I'm going to go with the Brahma Vihara. (laughs) It's kind of shocking. You can see it in many places in Bangkok. (laughs) So when we practice mudita, and um, I know most of you probably aren't going to be practicing it while you're here, but it's, a good, it's good to hear about all four Brahma-viharas and have some understanding of them. And, and even if we don't practice this formally, it's a quality that we can bring up when we see other people happy and successful. We can remember this quality and practice spontaneously in life. So even if you're not going to be doing it as a formal Brahma-vihara, it's, it's a beautiful quality of um, heart to develop in any way. When we do it as a Brahma Vihara, it brings up uh, its own obstructions to work with. So each of the 
Brahma Viharas bring up uh, uh, obstructions of heart and mind to be purified. And in the case of, of mudita, it's uh, qualities like envy, judgment, comparing, and competition. But it's worth developing. The uh, Dalai Lama said that uh, mudita increases our chance for happiness six billion to one. Now it would be seven billion. <laughs> Pretty good odds. <laughs> because think about it, when we can celebrate everybody's happiness, there's a lot more chances to be happy ourselves. So with each of the Brahma Viharas, we've looked at what are called the near neighbors and the far neighbors. The near neighbors being the qualities that can masquerade as that quality. Close, but not quite it. And the far neighbors being uh, the qualities that are clearly not it, but that often come up in the practice uh, for purification. The far neighbors of mudita are uh, traditionally boredom and aversion of all kinds. So I'll talk about those a little bit. So boredom. What happens with boredom perhaps is that we're disconnected and we're not really paying enough attention to, to connect and to appreciate We're not so interested in other people's happiness. And mudita awakens the delight that counteracts boredom and that makes us want to connect. All these people that we can appreciate their happiness makes us interested, counteracts boredom. The other far neighbor of aversion, I'm going to talk specifically about envy and conceit, maybe judgment a little bit. So envy is the most traditional uh, far neighbor of of mudita. And envy is this uh, inability to endure the happiness and success of others. Envy hates to see other people happy and successful. When envy is present, we see that we lose our own center, that we become very focused on others' lives. Envy also often has uh, deep conditioning or deep roots of uh, feeling inadequate and dissatisfied. Strengthening mudita allows us to move from the contraction of envy to the open and glad heart of appreciation, the spaciousness of appreciation. Envy is one of those qualities that we, we don't like to admit that we have. It's, it's not pretty. Um, I remember a number of years ago here at the meditation center before I, I started teaching there was one particular uh, person, uh, 
on, around here who I, I would get very envious of. Um, but what was interesting was at first I didn't even know I was envious of her. I, didn't, I, I couldn't recognize it in myself. Uh, so I used to come over and visit some and uh, like I would see her and there'd be this vague sense that I just didn't like her. That there was something um, unlikable about her. She's actually quite likable and um, but that was my, that was what, what I thought was going on. And, um, and then it took me a while. I wouldn't see her very often, but sometimes I come over and the, go in the staff dining room down at the retreat center, which is like the nerve center of IMS. And, um, you know, I'd see her and I, you know, like, uh, and then finally, you know, it occurred to me at one point, oh, I feel envy. That's what's happening. Like she had good relationships with the teachers and she was teaching some and just things that I, I, I wanted. And, and um, so, so then I, after a while, I started to be able to feel the envy. So I allow myself to feel it and I started to feel kind of the sense of inadequacy and, and the deep roots of it, right? And I started to notice the story, how the story would go. It would, it went the same every time. It went down a certain highway of, well, you know, why does she have this and why don't I? That's kind of the story of envy. And then one time I, I went in, I was in the dining room, she comes in, and I watch my mind. It's like it's ready. It's like there's a tape recorder in the old days, tape recorders, right? It's like there's a tape recorder. My finger was going towards play, and I knew exactly what the tape was going to say. And something said, no, I don't want to do that to myself, you know. So I let it go. And then over time, I wound up teaching with her some. And then one time, she gave this Dharma talk. It was really nice. And I felt mudita. I felt appreciation for her success. So I watched over a period of time, like the heart go from the contraction of envy, very contracted, to the openness and spaciousness of mudita. Definitely um, a better mind to hang out in, better heart. So mudita encourages us to make this journey, right, from envy to appreciation. And even informally, when we notice in our lives envy, we can take that as a little... um, time where we might want to explore, is there any room in the heart to appreciate somebody else's happiness and success? Related to envy is the quality of conceit. And in Buddhism, this this word conceit uh, is really about comparing ourselves to others. And in Buddhism, there's three kinds of conceit. So we tend to think of conceit as only feeling better than others. But in in Buddhist uh, psychology, it's feeling better than others or equal to others or worse than others. So it's any comparing ourselves to others is known as conceit. And they're all painful. We tend to think that feeling better than others feels good and feeling worse than others feels bad. But if we start to really investigate that 
sense of comparing to others and feeling better than them, we see that it uh, th- that its core is contraction, its core is separation, and that it's not pleasant. And they all, all three of them, solidify a, sen- a sense of I. So you can check it out for yourself the next time you're feeling better than other people. Just check it out. Is it actually pleasant? Sometimes on the three-month course at IMS, I don't think it happens quite so much here at the Forest Refuge, though I may not be in on everything, but sometimes at the three-month course, this sense of competition can come up among yogis, like, like, compete to see who's the best meditator. So like who sits in the hall the longest or who stays the latest or who gets there the earliest or who walks the slowest or there's so many ways or who looks like they're in bliss or who doesn't move at all in the hall. And like we can compare ourselves to other yogis. I bet it happens here too, doesn't it? We can compare, <laughs> we can compare ourselves to other yogis and um, either come up looking, you know, we think looking quite good or, or come up looking uh, not so great. Um, there's really no end to possibilities when we begin this, and really it just depends on how we're feeling at that moment, right? Uh, we, we can notice that um, that's conceit, that, that comparing ourselves with others. And mudita then uh, goes counter that, It's like a good antidote to that because when we're appreciating others, there's just not room in the mind for that sense of of comparing and seeing where we stand, better, worse, the same. Another... um, quality or experience of heart and mind that mudita counteracts is the experience of judgment. So sometimes we'll find ourselves judging others and feeling like they should be happy in the ways that we think they should be happy. Um, And mudita cuts through this tendency that we have to think the world should agree with our views. It helps us appreciate others, even if their way of happiness is different than ours. So there, it brings a sense of flexibility and open-mindedness to the heart and mind. It frees the mind from judgment. My godson likes uh, heavy metal music, and um, it's not where I would tend to first go when I'm looking for music. But sometimes um, I know what station he likes in the car. So sometimes when I drive by myself, I'll put on that station with the sole objective of trying to appreciate that music. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting to do it, like to, to find, um, you know, to, to free the mind of judgment. I could easily have, maybe some of you like heavy metal, but I could easily have judgment about that kind of music. But like, I can, I can enjoy, for example, there's so much energy there, right? And maybe a certain kind of honesty. Um, so bringing in the, the flexibility of mind, 
increasing the flexibility of heart and mind that can enjoy and appreciate others' ways of being happy. All of the Brahma Viharas, as I said, they counteract self-centeredness, and uh, mudita is no exception here. So through mudita, we find that um, the heart and mind that are preoccupied with uh, our own happiness um, opens up. A couple of years ago, I was teaching um, a retreat in, in Puerto Rico, in Puerto Rico, and um, we were at the out, outside of San Juan, and we were on top of a mountain at a center that actually Krishnamurti uh, founded. And uh, one night I was trying to give instructions. I think it was around 6 p.m. I was trying to give some instructions in the sitting, and there, there, these trucks started to go by on the road below the center. And this was like on top of a mountain. There was really no reason for trucks to be going by, but they're... They sounded like 18-wheelers and uh, very uh, honking their horns sometimes. And this went on and on, probably for mm, 20, 25 minutes until the sitting ended. And I kind of started to get a little irritated and um, got curious. So I went down to the gate where the road was, and uh, there were still trucks going by. And... Um, we asked one of the truckers, what's going on? <laughs> and they were, they were 18-wheelers, not with the back parts, but the front gig part. And um, he said, well, it's the, uh, uh, in the chapel nearby, it's a quinceañera of a, of a young lady. And the quinceañera is a 15-year-old birthday party celebration, very traditional. It's like Sweet 16, but much bigger deal, so a huge deal usually. And apparently her father was a trucker and he'd gotten all of his trucker friends to come and celebrate her 15th birthday, her quinceañera, by making a big deal about it. And I felt so happy for this young woman that, you know, like the care and kindness of a whole community that was coming together to celebrate her coming of age. The self-preoccupation about whether it was quiet or not, gone, right? The mudita... um, cancels it out, uh, opens up the heart in that way. Beautiful. We come out of our own small world and connect. I saw a bumper sticker somewhere that said, it's one sixth billionth about me. (laughs) It's a a good thing to remember. Mudita helps us remember that. Yeah. Now the near neighbor of um, Mudita uh, that can be confused for it is over-exuberance. I was uh, having um, some dinner down at the RC today and and uh, um, Joseph was down there and I, and he, and I told him I was talking and I said, what are you talking about? I said, Mudita. We both agreed it was a very easy talk to give. I said, there's only one problem. You have to be careful not to get overly exuberant. <laughs> the, the near neighbor of Mudita get uh, like too much energy. That's what um, 
that's what this near neighbor is when 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 we're celebrating others' happiness and success, but it kind of starts to get a little bit of a manic quality or over-exuberant quality, like carried-away quality. Perhaps you could say it, it becomes a frivolous joy without depth. That's the, the near neighbor or place to watch out for there. And and in this over-exuberance, there's a seed of uh, ignorance that can lead to attachment. And that seed of ignorance is forgetting that um, everything changes. Impermanence, that all that arises passes away, that joy, that life is a mix of joy and sorrow. So we we still celebrate the happiness. And yet, um, there's just a, um, this this quality of equanimity has to come in, and the equanimity is knowing uh, that that everything will change. So that grounds us. It's like very slightly sobering. It's not meant to extinguish the mudita, um, but it keeps it from getting frivolous. It keeps it from getting um, to be kind of a blind sentimentality without depth. It adds depth, actually, to the mudita. So those are the... um, you could say the unwholesome mind states that are discouraged by mudita. So it discourages envy, it discourages conceit, it discourages judgment, it discourages uh, um, false sentimentality or um, over-exuberance. Then mudita also nourishes wholesome qualities of heart and mind. And that's what I'll talk about for the rest of the talk. It's the kinds of qualities in our hearts and minds that um, increase and grow through the uh, study or contemplation of mudita. So the first mind state that... uh, grows is appreciation, our gratitude. And uh, appreciation of others and their happiness, but we can also turn this appreciation and through a kind of mudita appreciate the beauty and the joy that, that we experience in life, that's available in life, that exists in this world. Just out of curiosity, I, I looked up the word appreciation this afternoon to see what the synonyms are, synonyms are. There were several. One was to give thanks for, so gratitude. Another one was to groove on, which I found kind of interesting. <laughs> and it said, and it was distinguishing it from other words, appreciation from other words, and it said, appreciation involves valuing something or understanding it sympathetically. 
I thought it was great that that word sympathetically was in there, sympathetic joy. So feeling, valuing something, but through the feeling of it resonating in our heart. In some ways, this way of looking at mudita is really mudita for ourselves because we are appreciating. Um, it strengthens our, our ability to appreciate simple joy in life. And it, and it increases our ability to access and notice the simple joys in life. meditation in general, you've probably noticed, uh, can heighten our sensitivity to beauty. Becomes more refined and we can more easily uh, access this kind of appreciation. It's that continual coming back, coming back, coming back. We we learn to be here more so that we can... um, See just the little beauties that are that are all around us all the time. The reflection of the tree branch on the snow. The other day when it was raining, I walked out the hall. There were the little raindrops on that tree there. Just beautiful little raindrops on the tree. The taste of lemon rice. Just all the um, the abundance of beauty and uh, pleasant pleasure that there is in this world. There was a story about Kempo Rinpoche, very well known uh, Tibetan master. He was asked once to tell a story about the many three-year retreats that he had done. He's said to have responded with two sentences telling about the happiness he felt one time watching the sunrise. That was his summary. So this kind of attention gives us lots of reasons to feel happy and connected, this uh, appreciation of um, beauty and uh, pleasure. pleasure. And it gives us um, courage to feel connected. It counteracts the, the mind's negativity bias. We have a bias towards negativity that comes from... Uh, uh, our evolution and need to survive comes from survival, survival, deep survival instincts. So it refreshes the mind. Mudita's very refreshing. I was reading a book by Joanna Macy recently called Active Hope, How to Face the Mess We're In Without Going Crazy. And it was about um, kind of the current state of of the world, the human species, the planet. And one part of it that I found very interesting, she talked about protecting our enthusiasm. 
And I, 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 those three words, that phrase, protecting our enthusiasm. So she was talking it's about it specifically, protecting our enthusiasm when we're doing whatever work we're doing to help protect this planet, protect our species, protect other species, all the kinds of activism uh, we may engage in, especially at this crucial time in our, in our history as humans. And, and the reason why we have to protect our enthusiasm is she's, you know, it's a big project and a long one. She doesn't see, see any you know, short-term solutions that we're kind of in, in it for the long haul. And I thought about that, it's very much like meditation. Meditation, you all probably know now, it's not quick and easy. There's, it's, it's a long-term project. Um, how do we protect our enthusiasm for our practice? We need to protect our enthusiasm for connecting with life, connecting with our practice. I see it a little bit like uh, sustainable agriculture. What's sustainable uh, meditation? What does our soil need to be rich and fertile and sustainable? We're not taught about sustainability here in the West. We're not. We're taught. We're taught about um, go in, in the dominant paradigm. Go and get what you can and get it fast. Um, and don't worry about the consequences. And I think sometimes we bring a little bit of that attitude to our meditation. We try to blow through everything, right? Like, yeah, I'm just going to blow through all of this. It's a little bit uh, like unsustainable agriculture. We deplete our soil. And so what protects our enthusiasm? What protects our practice? our enthusiasm for our practice, what protects the soil of our practice, what makes our hearts and minds strong, durable, long-lasting. And I think of this kind of mudita, this ability to appreciate the little joys and, and beauties of life as one of the things that protects our enthusiasm or can protect our enthusiasm because of the refreshing quality that comes from that kind of attention. Now other times, that is, so sometimes in our practice, especially when, um, when there's a lot of suffering that's super important, other times in our practice, we, it may not be an issue. The practice itself sustains our enthusiasm. The, the interest and the Dhamma energy sustains our enthusiasm and we don't need so much to refresh the mind and heart in other ways. I'm a person who loves to be outside. Every day I get outside, that's how I sustain my enthusiasm is just to get outside. I don't care if it's a storm, it's raining, it's, I'm always, I get outside every day pretty much unless I'm really ill. And I remember my first three-month course at IMS, after a few months, I didn't want to go outside. I didn't need to go outside. So, so it's knowing for ourselves what balances our practice.
the insight practice that we do, Vipassana, dissembles uh, conventional reality. We, we take apart the world as we normally see it. We practice the absolute truth that all, arise, all arisings come from causes and conditions and, and pass on. And that way they're all equal. And on the relative level of reality or the conventional level of reality, there's beauty. So there's, there's these two levels, perhaps. They might look a little different. Keats is known to have said, beauty is also truth. So fill your life with beauty as a way to protect your practice. Birds are another way that I uh, protect my enthusiasm. I like to watch them in the morning at home. Recently I've started to teach them to eat on my hands. They do that down at the retreat center, at least in the fall, in the three-month course. I don't I think there's bird feeders up here, so they probably don't. But um, I start, they, they've started to come to my hand at home. And uh, that makes me about as happy as anything. Maybe happier than a BMW, even. <laughs> Two days ago, I went out of my way looking and looking for daffodils to bring home. I found some. Um, I didn't just make this up either. The um, commentaries of Vasudhimaga recommends, especially for those uh, who have more of the aversive type personalities or those who are going through a lot of suffering, this balance of, of surrounding oneself with some comfort. It's not recommended for the more greed types, <laughs> but for for the aversive types, it's it's it is. There's this. It almost seems hilarious uh, passages in the in the Vasudhimaga, one of the commentaries. Um, it goes on and on for those who are uh, uh, aversive types, or I would even put for those who are suffering a lot of aversion at the moment, even if you're not that type. It's like, you should live in a beautiful cottage with nice lattice work and um, have a bed with silk, silk sheets and, um, and the pathway should you know, have flowers along the edge and food should be pleasant tasting, perfectly spiced and your servants should be handsome and, you're, and you're, <laughs> it goes on and on and it's, um, it's the same point that it softens the mind, softens the heart, so that we can uh, deeply touch the truth. Unfortunately, those who tend to have more wanting minds, you're supposed to have a bug filled (laughs) (laughs) with coarse linen on the bed and uh, untasted, uh, tasteless gruel and, sorry.
The other quality that uh, is encouraged by mudita or grows by mudita is, is the quality of contentment, of being able to uh, rest and relax and trust what we receive in life. Buddha said that contentment is the greatest wealth. It's a mind that's freed from wanting more. So you can see how if we can celebrate others' happiness and success and the quality of stinginess or envy is lessened in the mind, um, then the quality of contentment grows of being satisfied with what we have. And when we're content, then we don't begrudge others their happiness. We give to others the gift of non-envy or non-resentment. You know what it's like when somebody really sincerely uh, celebrates your, your joy or your success. It's a gift. So appreciative joy brings a balance uh, that many of us need. Compassion and mudita balance each other out. So compassion keeps mudita from degenerating into a kind of pure sentimentalism. And mudita keeps us from um, sinking and drowning in the and the breadth of, and depth of sorrow in this world, of suffering. So it gives us solace so as not to be overwhelmed, so that we don't end up with resigned pessimism. So you could say it protects us from despair. Voltaire said, life is a shipwreck, but we must not forget to sing in the lifeboats. Mudita is the the singing in the lifeboats. We need the right balance to grow spiritually. It's said that the human realm is the perfect realm for this balance that the heaven realms, there's too much joy, so we're not interested in practice. And the, the difficult or hell realms, there's too much suffering, and we can't find the energy to be interested in practice. But that this human realm contains a mix of joy and sorrow, enough of each, enough joy to, to have energy, to be energized for, for the path, and enough sorrow to be motivated for the path. So these flavors of a kind heart, the open friendliness of metta, the caring heart of 
compassion, the joyful heart of appreciation, and the cool heart of equanimity. I'll end with a poem by Wendell Berry that, for me, uh, describes this kind of balance of mudita. When despair for the world grows in me, and I wake in the night at the least sound, in fear of what my life and my children's lives may be, I go and lie down where the wood drake rests in his beauty on the water, and the great heron feeds. I come into the peace of wild things who do not tax their lives with forethought of grief. I come into the presence of still water. And I feel above me the day-blind stars waiting with their light. For a time, I rest in the grace of the world and am free. That's it for a couple minutes. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.